is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Boy, we have a full plate. A full plate. The news outlets, particularly Fox, Sky News, some others are reporting, we have some deal with the European Union on non-car products, certain products where the goal is to reduce or eliminate tariffs and subsidies on non-car products that are purchased. And the way Sky News reports it, Donald Trump has held a very big day for free and fair trade after reaching a deal to avert a a full-blown trade war with the EU. Following talks with the European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker, At the White House, Mr. Trump said the U.S. and EU have agreed to work to resolve their current dispute. Last month, the U.S. president slapped tariffs on steel and aluminum imports to prompt tit-for-tat measures by Brussels, including tariffs on bourbon whiskey, Levi's jeans, and Harley-Davidson motorbikes. Mr. Trump had warned of retaliatory action on EU car makers. In a bid to de-escalate the quarrel, Mr. Trump said he and Mr. Juncker had agreed to work together towards zero tariffs, zero non-tariff barriers, and zero subsidies. Now, Mr. Producer, zero tariffs, zero subsidies. Who has been preaching this? Who's been preaching this and getting calls from some Trump supporters attacking me? That we need tariffs to protect our industries. Now, there were some who said, look, this is a negotiating tool for the president. But that's not what most said. Most said we need tariffs to protect our industries. And what, I've, what have I been arguing? No. Get it down as close to zero tariffs, zero subsidies as possible. Try and work it out with other countries. If they don't go along, we can go along anyway. Just do it. Because money will flow into this country. You know... One of the things I meant to mention yesterday in the past is when you talk about an imbalance of trade with a country, one of the things that's not considered are services and financial transactions. That's a big deal for the United States. Just products. Just products. So it's a phony number. Now, they're agreeing to work toward zero tariffs and zero subsidies on non-automobile products. I'm not 100% sure what that means. Does that include steel and aluminum? That would be great if it includes steel and aluminum, but I didn't hear about steel and aluminum. So we'll need to know more as time goes on. But this has been my point. This has been my argument. The president can campaign and say, I want zero tariffs and zero subsidies if I can get it from other countries and so forth. That's not what he campaigned on. They have genuflected somewhat over there at the White House because I think you, you Levinites out there, you've been heard. I think you've been heard by the White House, which monitors this show. That's why I say it's one thing to criticize the president when we disagree with him. It's another thing to try and sabotage him, which is what the left does, which is what the media do, which is what the Democrats do, which is what the never Trumpers do. That's not what we do here. That's not what I do. 
So this is good if it's true. If it turns out to be accurate is what I'm saying. If they actually can negotiate this. No tariffs and no subsidies. That's the Levin position. Is it not, Mr. Bidu? I won't go back and play the audio over and over and over again. But that's our position. And let's see how this works out. I hope it does. Now, I may wind up being tougher on China than most people. I'm not looking for trade deals with China. I'm not looking for currency deals with China. China's the enemy. China's stealing our technology. What kind of deal can we cut with China to stop them from stealing our technology? But our allies, I've never understood why we would treat them like China. So free trade apparently is very, very important because now everybody's talking about it. Everybody's talking about why? Because it's better for everybody. That's why. And now our companies have to compete. And our farmers will compete. They're happy to compete. Perfectly fine by me. Let's do it in steel and aluminum too. Let's remove all of our tariffs and subsidies. Well, only if the other guy does it. Well, we should try and ask the other guy to do it, but if they don't do it, they don't do it. Then more and more money will flow into our country. Money, finances, which doesn't even count towards the quote-unquote imbalance of trade. Anyway, we'll see how this develops over time. There, uh, you know, I hate getting into this stuff with this Michael Cohen and the tape. I hate it when the when the pseudo-media drives the agenda, but I've heard so much misinformation and disinformation and ignorance when it comes to our federal campaign laws and whether Trump is uh, on the hook for violating our campaign laws. He's not even close to being on the hook for violating our campaign laws. I had Bradley Smith on this program a few months ago, the former chairman of the Federal Election Commission. He wrote a beautiful piece in the Wall Street Journal. He spoke at length to us. And he's coming back at the bottom of the hour so we can go through this yet again. You can have a non-disclosure agreement. I've been saying this now for months, 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 months with Stormy Daniels or anybody else. A non-disclosure agreement is not hush money. A non-disclosure agreement is not illegal. A non-disclosure agreement, even in a campaign, is not a campaign violation. And in no circumstances is it criminal. This entire issue is another Shiny object. It's another phony issue. That's CNN. They got the tape, obviously, from Lanny Davis. When you see Lanny Davis, there he is. Ambulance chasing slip and fall lawyer. That's right, Lanny. Every damn lie the Clintons ever told, Lanny defended. So now he's there. Michael Cohen's lawyer trashing the president. This guy, Michael Cohen, what a sleazeball. I never spoke to him in my life. I never communicated with him in my life. What a sleazeball. You're taping your client, apparently repeatedly. He's got a dozen tapes. What are you going to do with the tapes there, counselor? You're going to use it against your client? Incredible. I think the uh, New York bar ought to be taking a look at this. But they're probably cheering on Michael Cohen and uh, Lanny Davis right now, too. You know, uh, Cohen could turn on Trump. Well, who cares if he turns on Trump? A non-disclosure agreement with a payment 
is is legal. Well, he might have set up an LLC, a uh, a corporation, to launder the money through without Trump's name on it in order to. Uh, doesn't matter. You're not laundering money. There are LLCs all over the place. There's nothing illegal. There's nothing shifty. There's nothing wrong with an LLC. I don't have one, but people have them. And there are tax laws. Perfectly permissible. Well, that way they won't know who's making the payment. Who cares? The issue here is Michael Cohen. The issue is what the hell is Lanny Davis doing in the middle of this? Trashing the president of the United States. Well, Cohen's going to turn on Trump. Turn on Trump about what? Here we are. Going down another rabbit hole. Russia, now Michael Cohen. Russia, now Michael Cohen. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. this with the European Union. I'll, I'll swing back to this tape in a minute. But They're talking about products, Mr. Bedouzi, that pretty much we're not talking about a massive new tariff that was placed on them under Trump, are we? I'm looking at steel and aluminum. Steel and aluminum. With Canada. Canada, the second biggest provider of steel to the United States, the first biggest provider of steel is American steel. The line was that the Canadians, actually the line was that the Chinese were dumping steel into our country. And then we find out that less than 5% of the steel we use in this country comes from China. 70% comes from American companies. And then number two is Canada. Will we support zero tariffs, zero subsidies on steel if Canada agrees to that? Because I thought the argument there was different, that we need to help protect and prop up our steel companies. So we have arguments all over the lot here. The Levin position is a simple position. It's the Adam Smith position, the Milton Friedman position, the Henry Hazlitt position, the Reagan position, which is... Okay, lower tariffs, lower subsidies unilaterally. And watch the money flow into the United States. The imbalance of trade does not include that, does not count that. Same with services, doesn't count that. That's absurd, absolutely absurd. The movement of money is just as relevant as the movement of products. The movement of products and services, one is indistinguishable from the other when you're looking at a balance sheet, and I don't even believe the balance sheet matters, as I've told you before. These are not government-to-government uh, transactions. They're not country-to-country transactions. Individuals, and businesses, and other groups are involved in the transactions. So the measurement is bizarre. The measurement's bizarre. And if you wanted to really revolutionize our economy, the world economy, and have another industrial revolution. We would, with Congress, unilaterally slash tariffs and unilaterally slash subsidies. I think part of the problem we're going to have is members of Congress. 
who stuck a lot of these uh, tariffs, a.k.a. taxes, into these various appropriation and budget bills that we're now stuck with. All right. We can talk about that if you'd like to call in. Michael Cohen has turned out to be quite the reprobate. And I'll tell you something that's hilarious. My buddy at Legal Insurrection has alerted me to this. Michael Cohen, of course, was taping Donald Trump on more than one occasion. The reports are 12 occasions. I don't know if that's true or not. Who knows? But it also turns out Michael Cohen taped Chris Cuomo of CNN, of the Cuomo Democrat Party, uh, Chris Cuomo being among the dumbest. I used to say he's dumber than his governor brother, but I actually think the governor brother's dumber. Now, Chris Cuomo supposedly broke the big tape story. In other words, it was handed to him by Lanny Davis or somebody. But Michael Cohen secretly taped Cuomo. (laughs) The Wall Street Journal reported that Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, recorded a two-hour conversation with CNN's Chris Cuomo about the alleged payment to porn star Stormy Daniels. Cohen told Cuomo that he, not Trump, handled the $130,000 payoff to Stormy Daniels. Here's what the Wall Street Journal says in part. In the nearly two-hour conversation with CNN reporter Chris Cuomo, which the people said appears to have been surreptitiously recorded by Mr. Cohen, the former Trump lawyer discussed at length the payment he arranged in October 2016, a month before the presidential election, to Stephanie Clifford, known professionally as Stormy Daniels. I did it on my own, Cohen said of the payment, according to the people familiar with it. Oh. And of course it goes on. He was taped for two hours. Will Lanny Davis release that tape? Now, during the conversation with Cuomo, Mr. Cohen assured the reporter he wasn't running a tape, according to the people familiar with the matter. He told Mr. Cuomo he was placing the phone in his desk drawer and that the conversation was off the record. The phone appeared to record the entire conversation, the people said. It isn't clear whether Mr. Cohen makes any indication on the tape that he arranged the payment to Ms. Clifford in order to bolster Mr. Trump's campaign. If Mr. Cohen did pay Ms. Clifford to help the candidate's chances of being elected, he and the campaign may have violated campaign finance law. That is false. We will explain this again in a few minutes when Bradley Smith joins my program, former chairman of the Federal Election Commission. It is very troubling to me when we have these pseudo-reporters who don't know history, who don't know economics, and who don't know the truth, continue to speculate and lie about these things. The fact of the matter is, it is not a violation of federal campaign laws, period, as again, we will demonstrate. Very little talk about this man, Cohen, and whether or not he should still be a member of the bar. I really am not clear what the priority process, uh, uh, investigation is in the Southern District that was handed over from Mueller to the Southern District of New York. I thought it had to do with medallions and taxis. But I think Mr. Cohen is throwing a lot of stuff out there trying to divert attention from whatever he may have done, may have done. And when you hire a lawyer like Lanny Davis, which I, who I consider to be unserious, I really do. But that's fine. When you hire a lawyer like Lanny Davis, who's not a criminal defense lawyer, he's a spin doctor. He's a lobbyist. He's had some civil cases, as best as I know. He can call in if I'm wrong. Uh, Then you're really not... uh, That's what you're dealing with, that is. That is the PR side of this thing more than anything else. 
So this is another fake thing, like the Helsinki press conference. We're all supposed to chase that. There'll be another thing after this, I'm sure. It just never, ever ends. And by the way, as I was watching our great Secretary of State, outstanding Mike Pompeo, in front of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, I almost threw up on my sneakers. From the chairman, Bob Corker, Mr. Iran deal, to Menendez, I barely escaped imprisonment. To all the rest of it, it was disgusting. No Secretary of State has ever been treated this way. And Pompeo, by the way, he shined. This guy is smart, he's tough, and he's loyal. Number one, he graduated West Point. Harvard Law School on the Law Review. Big deal. A combat veteran. Congressman. CIA director. Secretary of State. What a class act. And to be up there with a bunch of clowns was absolutely disgusting to watch. All right. We have to drill down into this ridiculous tape story. We'll get there. I'll be right back. Former uh, Federal Election Committee uh, Commission Chairman Bradley Smith, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you, Mark? Good. Well, here we are again. And um, I really don't think it's changed that much, which is if, in fact, the president entered into a... uh, non-disclosure agreement, or if they set up an LLC uh, to purchase some kind of a, uh, a story uh, through the National Enquirer and so forth and so on, whether people like it or not, is that a campaign violation? Well, it, you're, you're quite right, Mark. It really hasn't changed from uh, the analysis that I gave you the last time we spoke uh, you know, a couple months ago when this kind of first broke regarding Stormy Daniels and so on. Generally speaking, uh, campaign expenditure has to be something that exists only because of the campaign. So if you want to do something that might help your campaign, but, but the obligation exists otherwise, it's not a campaign expenditure. For example, if a candidate says, I'd like to join the country club and take big donors there, right? That's not a campaign expenditure. That's going to be considered personal use, and it's not for the campaign. If uh, a candidate were to say, I'm going to pay my employees a bonus at Christmas, and then I'll look like a big, great boss, and people will want to vote for me when I run for office, still not a campaign expenditure. Your obligation to pay your employees is a business obligation. So it's still the same thing here. I, I think that there's uh, little reason to believe that this obligation or this decision to, to uh, you know, buy up rights to a story or make a payment uh, is something that you can attribute solely to the campaign. It's an obligation that would exist uh, whether the candidate was running running for office or not. You can contrast that to something like hiring a campaign manager. You don't do that unless you're running for office. You know, printing up a brochure saying, vote for me. You don't do that unless you're running for office. And that's the difference. Well, what would you say to people who say, well, he might not be paying these these non-disclosure agreements or setting up this company if he did and so forth, but for the fact he's running for office. Your point is, that has nothing to do with it. It has to be an expenditure that has as its purpose a direct campaign expenditure. Right. I mean, I mean, you know, you could make the same argument, for example, if the candidate said, you know, I want to look good in this televised debate this weekend, so I'm going to go out and spend 1600 bucks on a Brooks Brothers suit. Is that a campaign expenditure? 
No, that's a personal expenditure for a suit. You've got to buy suits and clothes anyway. And the fact that you made that purchase at that time and that particular purchase with the idea that it might help your campaign doesn't convert that into a campaign expenditure. So the answer is, I think, uh, no. And, and I don't think these latest revelations, while they may matter to people in other reasons, they don't really change that core campaign finance uh, uh, interpretation of the law. It has to be something that exists only because you're campaigning. And you're able to speak authoritatively. Why? Because you handle this rule? Well, I like to think I'm able to speak authoritatively. Of course, I was the uh, chairman of the Federal Election Commission, served as a commissioner for five years. And, you know, one of the interesting things is while, you know, you and I agree, Mark, that most of these federal campaign finance laws are unconstitutional or should be held as such and struck down, one thing that I was always about the toughest on was on the commission was the idea of personal use, that a candidate cannot convert these campaign funds to his personal use. So stop right there. Because so Trump is not using campaign funds to pay for non-disclosure agreement monies or to set up a company to pay for non-disclosure or anything of the point. He's using his own money. Exactly. Exactly. And, and what the argument would be, well, but shouldn't that have been a campaign expenditure? And we might say, no, again, because uh, this is an obligation he might have paid to keep his son barren from hearing the news in an embarrassing way, to save, you know, for family harmony, to save his commercial reputation as a reality TV performer. So there's lots of reasons why he would have done it. And it, it may be that they did it at this time, or more likely that these women demanded the payments at this time because he was running for office. But that doesn't change the fact that this is an obligation that exists if he chooses to pay it, whether he's running for office or not. The point is, all these events leading up to the NDA or any of these uh, legal machinations and so forth had nothing to do with the fact of the campaign, had nothing to do with the fact that he's running for office. Any funds that were transferred had nothing to do with the campaign. They didn't come out of the campaign. If they have the effect of helping the president, so what? As you said, like buying a suit. Yeah, and, and if he had done the opposite, let's suppose he'd used campaign funds to pay for this, right? You know that the same people who are saying, now this is a campaign finance violation, would say, had he used campaign funds, oh, that's a campaign finance violation. You can't use campaign funds to make a personal payment to pay off uh, you know, someone who's making allegations against you. So they, they, they want to catch, I think, the president in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. And I just don't think that that, that can work. Um, you know, by the way, we've seen this somewhat before. Some will remember John Edwards, former Democratic vice presidential candidate, who uh, uh, had payments made to a woman he was having an affair with named Riley Hunter. And uh, the, the, the Justice Department, or maybe the state prosecutors, I think it was Justice, tried to prosecute him in court, and ultimately they were unsuccessful. They couldn't prove that that payment was made as a campaign payment. It was made in part because he was a politician and cared, but it wasn't a campaign payment. So the point is, it's his money. He didn't use the campaign money. The events predated the campaign, uh, as just as a factual matter. Um, and um, the fact that it might benefit him in the public's view or as a PR matter is really not uh, something that would trigger a, uh, a campaign violation. Exactly right. You sum that up much better than I do. But if I could add one kind of point to that, yeah. when the Federal Election Commission passed this regulation, one thing they specifically rejected was the idea that you could that it would be a campaign expenditure if it was for sort of a mixed purpose. That is to say, so to speak, you said, you know, I'd like to have that country club membership. I can use it for some of my campaigning, and it would be real nice to have. 
the court the, or the FEC specifically said that's not going to count as a campaign expenditure. That would be personal use of your campaign funds, even though the fact that you were campaigning might have been one of the reasons that you made the decision. So they specifically rejected that mixed motive sort of idea and said this has to exist solely because you're running for office. And that's just not the case here. It just doesn't, at least doesn't appear that way to me from anything that we've seen. And wouldn't the problem be if you're wrong, and how could you be wrong? You were involved in making the decision. But if you're wrong, then you, you are federalizing for campaign purposes all kinds of private acts, private monies, and so forth. There could be no end to this. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, the flip side of this is if this is a campaign expenditure, then we would be saying that essentially candidates have to make payments like this from their campaign funds. Now, is that really what we want campaign funds to be for, <laughs> that, that people should go out and give money so that, you know, politicians uh, can, can make payments of some kind or, again, buy themselves little luxuries that might make them look good on the campaign or feel good? He could say, hey, you know, I, I could really use, before this final stretch of the campaign, I could really use a nice weekend on Martha's Vineyard and just pay for that with campaign funds. I think we, that's, that's not what we want campaign funds being used for. So what they seem to be saying is under no circumstances if the president, private matters occur before the campaign, having nothing to do directly with the campaign. If the president of the United States spends his own money, it's a violation of the campaign laws. If he spent campaign money, it's a violation of the campaign laws, as you point out. So he can't win. That's right. They, they, under their theory. They're trying to get him in a, a no-win situation. And I think uh, that the correct interpretation of the law is that, look, this is simply not a campaign finance violation. You know, and what we have going on here, we've seen this for the entire, you know, since Trump took office and even before, is this sort of idea people have that he must be guilty of something, and by God, we're going to find the statute that enables us to find him guilty. Mm -hmm. And that's just a really, really bad way to make law and to try to run a government. I think the Soviet Union used to do that sort of thing. That's right. You, you tell me what person you want convicted, and I'll find the crime. And yeah. uh, I just don't think we want to do that and, and use our campaign finance laws in that way. And once they're bent out of shape, you know, you can't bend them back for the next candidate who comes along. The precedent is there, and that's how they'll be used. It is interesting to me, Bradley Smith, former chairman of the Federal Election Commission, that CNN and MSNBC will bring in anybody to comment on this. Lawyers who have no experience in this whatsoever, former federal prosecutors have no experience in this whatsoever, defense counsel have no experience in this whatsoever, but they don't bring you on. Well, I, I, I can't really comment on that except to say that I find interesting that uh, you know a lot of prosecutors come on and they focus on the definition of the stat in the statute that says anything that's for the purpose of influencing the campaign is a campaign contribution or an expenditure. But what they ignore is that other part of the statute that says here are things that are not campaign expenditures. Here are things that constitute personal use, and that's what I've been talking about. And so you got to read the whole statute at once. But prosecutors, you know, they want to prosecute, so they tend to get focused on the line that makes it sound real good for prosecuting and ignore that more arcane provision that's buried deeper in the statute. And, and it's not just prosecutors. It's former state judges and federal judges. They sit there. I even see them on my favorite cable network. Uh, sit there and say, no, 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 this is a, uh, a, an in-kind campaign contribution and therefore uh, blah, blah, blah. Going, no, it's not. No, it's yeah, not. I, I just don't see it. And, you know, if it were, one has to start to think about all the potential things that could potentially get, get lumped into this whenever somebody who happens to know a candidate or sometimes even doesn't know them does something 
that, you know, kind of vaguely, arguably benefits the candidate or any time the candidate himself, again, wants to do anything that, that kind of improves his own life, you could start to say, well, that's a campaign expenditure. He looks better. He, he had plastic surgery. He looks better. He's got nicer clothes. He looks better. He uh, is more relaxed. He has a nicer car. Boy, I want candidates who drive a nice car. I mean, just, you know, any of these things could start to apply. And that's, that's just not the, the way. How about, how, about, how about if I pay some technical genius? Let's say I'm a candidate and I've posted things I'm embarrassed about, but nobody's caught the attention of them yet. And I get them on there to, to, to wipe them. I say, here, I'm going to pay you some money. Clean all that stuff out. That's not a campaign contribution. Well, I would generally think, uh, you know, again, no, it's not. I mean, one could make the argument where if the campaign hired the person and they did it. No, I hired the person. They made the decision that they wanted to take that off for campaign purposes. But but if, for example, that's just out there and all of a sudden somebody comes to them and says, hey, I've got this uh, screenshot of an embarrassing post. That I don't think is a campaign expenditure. That's just kind of a a blackmail uh, payment. Which a lot of these may have been, quite frankly. Um, it, it, it does seem kind of funny that nobody's very upset about that angle. And, and you know, another thing I'm trying to figure out with these latest tapes that came out is uh, how is this not a, a violation of attorney-client privilege? Is there something yes. there I'm missing? Yeah, well, you know, apparently uh, Giuliani, on behalf of Trump, waved on the one tape. But not only how is it not a campaign uh, – excuse me, is it not a uh, attorney-client privilege violation – but how is it not a an offense that would require an attorney to defend his license? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've never recorded clients. I mean, uh, they say, well, in New York, it's a one, one party state. That has nothing to do with it. Lawyers have certain uh, re- requirements, codes of professional response, but I don't happen to know what they are in New York. I know in Virginia, Pennsylvania, and so California and so forth, they're quite significant. Well, that, that's what I would think. But, but that's an area where I start to get out of my expertise. Again, my expertise is campaign finance law. And, you know, again, you look at this kind of payment. This is not a campaign finance expenditure. And it's not the kind of thing that we really, if we think about what we want this law for, we want to be a campaign finance expenditure. Mm-hmm. We want to find out who's donating to the campaign, right? That's what we want to know. So we want to know if they have undue influence on the candidates or that sort of thing. Uh, and it, it's, the campaign finance laws are not to be used to pry into the candidate's personal life. And in a sense, that's what they're, again, trying to do here. I mean, you should tell us about all these other things going on in your personal life. And I just think that's an abuse of the law and something that shouldn't be allowed to stand and, and really shouldn't be allowed to, to get traction here. And yet, and yet, Bradley Smith, virtually every media report I've read on this says it may be a campaign violation. I've heard conservatives say the same thing. They have no idea what they're talking about. You and I talked a few months ago about this. We talked about the same rule, and uh, hopefully it'll take hold now. I want to thank you uh, very, very much uh, for your time, and by the way, and for your uh, service as an FEC commissioner. I know you took a lot of heat, and uh, you did a superb job. I appreciate that, Mark, very much. Hey, you know, one quick final closing thought here. Yeah. Remember, Antonin Scalia, who was a pretty smart judge, even yeah. said at one point from the bench at oral argument, these campaign finance laws are so complex, I can't understand them. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the problems you have here is a lot of people just don't re- – you have to really be immersed in this law. It's one of the reasons these laws are an abomination of the First Amendment. But nonetheless, you know, putting that aside, if you're going to operate in there and you're going to comment as an expert, you really need to immerse yourself deeply in this law. All right. Right on. God bless you. Thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Former chairman of the Federal Election Commission, Bradley Smith. That's who you go to if you want to understand this stuff. 
Not all these former this, former that, and former everything who never served on the FEC. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, with Canada and then with the G7 and now, the president has been saying zero tariffs, zero subsidies. He did not say that during the campaign. He did not say that nine months ago. He did not say that six months ago. He's starting to see the farmers, particularly the soybean farmers, and what the consequences are. He's starting to see what a lot of these bright red states with bright red senators are having to deal with. The president's a smart man. He's a smart man. And with the European Union, now he's focused on soybeans and a few others, they've agreed to agree to talk about trying to get the zero tariffs and zero subsidies on a whole bunch of farm products and other products, except for cars. That wasn't the president's position 12 months ago, six months ago. The president's position was steel's being dumped into the country. We need to build up our industrial base and things of that sort. That's okay. This is good news. It's not bad news. It's good news. Zero tariffs. Zero subsidies. That's something we've been saying on this program now for a long time, and I've taken a hell of a lot of heat from leftists and populists. Even yesterday, we had a ton of farmers calling this program saying they are furious about what's taking place. And it's good that the White House is listening to this program. You know, we have senators' offices contact this program when I'm done. Do we not, Mr. Producer? We want to talk about Kavanaugh. We want to talk about tariffs. We want to, I'd be running senators in and out of here and congressmen in and out of here all day long. So I'm very, very, you know, Limited in what I do in that regard. I'm not opposed to it. I'm just saying I'm not going to turn this into a GOP radio. But the position I've been taking on tariffs has been the minority position. People have surrendered to this notion of nationalism, populism, tariffs, protectionism, sounding a lot like Bernie Sanders. Well, today, the president did not sound like Bernie Sanders. Same with the G7 in Canada. Zero tariffs and zero subsidies is an embracement of capitalism. All right, all right, I'm I'm on it. Let me see here. Here we go. Now, it's the middle of the night. You're tossing, turning, covered in sweat. You could run the AC or a fan and try and keep cool. Or you could get rid of your heat-trapping mattress and sleep as cool as the other side of the pillow like I do. On a mattress from Casper. All Casper mattresses use premium foams that relieve pressure and help align your body. So you fall asleep feeling comfortably and wake up feeling refreshed. And thanks to the breathable material, you're guaranteed to sleep cool all summer long. Casper ships for free in a box so small you won't believe it holds a mattress. That's so you can try it risk-free for 100 nights. If you don't love yours, they'll come pick it up and refund you everything. Sleep cool and comfortably every night. Get a Casper. Try yours for 100 nights with free shipping and returns. Go to Casper.com, use code MARK, and get $50 towards the purchase of select mattresses. That's Casper.com, code MARK. Casper.com, 
Terms and conditions apply. So let's not rewrite history on the program. Let's not rewrite history on the program. We've had people tune out because they're furious with me on this issue of trade. They've gone on my social sites and they've posted things. Don't you want to protect this industry? Don't you want to protect that industry? The best way, the best way to maintain our industrial heartland, to expand our economy, is not through tariffs and subsidies. Call it a negotiating ploy. Call it whatever you want. The lower, the better. The elimination of them, better yet. I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I am uh, feeling good. With the president working towards zero tariffs and zero subsidies, at least with respect to the EU and with respect to some products and so forth. It's a good thing. It's, a, it's, it's an adjustment. And that's good. And I want to see it with steel and aluminum and all the rest of it. And if the other countries go along, good. And if they don't, we should still do it given the amount of resources from these other countries that will pour in here from other companies, from their financial institutions. As I say, think of it as water. That's how money flows. That's how money flows. And money will flow in the areas where it is uh, most productive. So I see this as a very positive step. Now, I want to go back to the the hype surrounding this Michael Cohen and the tape and Trump and whether he set up a company and so forth and so on. I understand uh, from Martha McCollum watching uh, briefly during the break that the senior judicial analyst at Fox, Judge Napolitano, who is a very bright, nice man, said this could be civil fraud. I didn't hear him say that. If he did, it's ridiculous. Civil fraud against whom? It's not a campaign violation. No more than an authority than the former chairman of the FEC made that abundantly clear. And we've done this repeatedly now. He was involved in, in formulating the regulation and interpreting it. And that was the position of the FEC. So, if no campaign money was used, if in fact there was a payment, and I don't know that, but if there was a non-disclosure agreement with cash, with a check, with euros, with the gold bullion, it's of no consequence. If they set up an LLC because he didn't want people to know about it, it's nothing to do with the campaign laws. It has to do with the way he chooses to make the non-disclosure agreement. There's no civil fraud. Civil fraud against whom? For what? There's no campaign violation. It's not an in-kind contribution. There was no cash used from the campaign, no money raised as a result from donors to the campaign and laundered or none of that stuff. So this is another, as I like to say, nothing burger. 
But they'll keep playing it up. No question about it. They, they can't help themselves. They'll keep playing it up. They can't help themselves. So when you look at these attacks on the president, they really are trolling. He obstructed justice. Why? Because he fired Comey. No, no, you don't understand. He's president. He can fire Comey. Well, this this Russian who was in America working with conservative group reminds us of Alger Hiss. Has nothing to do with Alger Hiss. Not even close. Now we have the next issue. And only saw this on Fox. I hadn't known. Do we have that audio yet, Mr. Producer? Are we not? Uh, I gave it to you. At the, uh, all right, we do. This is a reporter for CNN. I forget her name. Uh, but she's very upset because apparently, reportedly, uh, she was disinvited. Caitlin Collins. She was disinvited from a, a presser uh, involving the president of the European Union and the president because earlier in the day, uh, when the president was apparently meeting with this gentleman, uh, she was asking about Michael Cohen. She was asking about uh, Russia. And so, uh, of course, the media will circle the wang- wagons because in the end, that's who they are. But the fact of the matter is the inappropriateness of barking out questions and to constantly use the format of a press event, a presidential press event, to advance an ideological agenda on Russia and Michael Cohen when the president's sitting there with the president of the EU and he's trying to to do business and talk about that, the press needs to look in the mirror. This does not serve the American people. It serves the press, which has an ideological agenda. I think this is quite serious. It's a serious point. The press will say this is attack on freedom of the press. No, it's not. The press are attacking freedom of the press. Nobody's saying you shouldn't be an intrepid reporter, you shouldn't be an investigative reporter, you shouldn't dig, 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 and so forth and so on. But there's a, an appropriateness to these presidential press conferences. Here's, here's what she had to say. Mr. Producer, go ahead. Yeah, that's right, Wolf. So I was blocked from attending an open press event here at the White House because the White House did not like the questions I posed to President Trump earlier in it's the day. It's not a matter of not liking the questions, which suggests that they don't like hard questions. It was the inappropriateness of you disrupting the event by asking questions that have absolutely nothing to do with the event. Go ahead. Earlier in the day during an event in the Oval Office with the president of the European Commission. So to walk you through exactly what was going on, I was representing the rest of the television networks during this uh, spray, which is what we refer to it here at the White House, in the Oval Office. We were brought in for the top of the meeting between the president and the president of the European Commission. Both men delivered remarks, and then I and several other reporters started asking President Trump questions. This is a normal occurrence, and it is often our only chance to ask President Trump questions that day and he often responds to us wolf so to give you a sense of the questions that the white house now did stop. not like listen listen to the background where they're rude and so forth she didn't want to ask a question that's on topic could ask a lot of tough questions about trade taxes she didn't want to ask those questions nato with the head of the european cohen and the so-called helsinki russia stuff still These are presidential press events. They're not CNN press events. They're not MSNBC press events. 
Nobody is a, is a bigger advocate of the Constitution than I am, and that includes the Bill of Rights. It's the left that attacks the Bill of Rights and free speech all the time, whether it's our college campuses, whether it's talk radio, whether it's Faulkner, whatever it is. Go ahead. Trump. So, Wolf, the questions I asked, in case you couldn't hear them, was if the president was upset and felt that Michael Cohen, his former attorney, had betrayed him by allowing the So he's there that- with the president of the European Commission, and she's asking about Michael Cohen and the tape which was leaked to CNN, Cuomo. And he's trying to talk about trade, something that is crucially important to the American people, to farmers, to auto workers, to steel workers, to all of us. And she's pushing the CNN agenda. Go ahead. The release of that audio recording. We also asked if he was worried about what Michael Cohen would say to prosecutors. As you know, the president was tweeting about that recording. With but you Michael see, Cohen. you see, this is what they do. They disrupt all of his press events with this stuff. So the president also has an obligation to get a message across to the American people about what he's doing and what he wants to do when it comes to food on the table the cost of products, jobs. That's what uh, trade and commerce is all about. Instead, she wants to talk about Michael Cohen, the tape, whether or not he's concerned that Cohen's going to talk to federal prosecutors. What does this have to do with anything? And what does she think he's going to say? In other words, the question, we already know the answers to the questions. So the questions and the way they pose it are intended to be the headlines. That's what's different about the press today than 20, 30, 40 years ago. It's not that they're better. They're performers. Go ahead. Owen, just this morning on his Twitter account. And then I also asked the president if he, uh, why Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, had not accepted his invitation to the White House yet. That was before the White House announced that they were going to postpone that meeting until next year. Now, Wolf, after that event was over, the president did not answer questions. He said, thank you. We left the Oval Office. And then later, I was called into the office of Bill Shine, the president's latest hire, who is his right-hand man for communications. It was him and the press secretary, Sarah Sanders, who told me that I would not be invited to an open press event here in the Why do you think? It's not, look, it's not anti-press because there's press there from everywhere. It's that CNN, obviously, orders from on high is disrupting these press events. You never saw this with Barack Obama. You never saw this with Barack Obama, ever. So a president is responsive to the people, answers questions, many that he doesn't like. But if you have a a, a network that has as its purpose an ideological agenda and to disrupt what the president is saying with the with the head of the EU next to him, what do you think he's supposed to do? Again, I'm not in favor of dictatorship. I'm not in favor of undermining the freedom of the press. This has nothing to do with that. We need to unravel this, what's taking place here. Go ahead. Garden moments later at the White House because they thought the questions that I posed to President Trump were inappropriate and inappropriate for that venue. I told them that is often our only chance to ask the president questions. So what? It was inappropriate for the venue. And they're exactly right. They're exactly right. You were out of control. 
And I don't care if Fox has, they have announced they stand behind CNN. I don't care about this, this, uh, this, this superficial collegiality that takes place among these various media outlets. Because they're afraid next time there's a Democrat president, maybe they'll push Fox out of here. The problem is the American people are not served by this. By a Jim Acosta or somebody like this. They know what they're doing. They're looking for a quick hit. They're looking for ratings. They're not, what, what do they want him to say, Trump? Yes, I'm worried about Cohen talking to federal authorities. Yes, he's got all kinds of dirt on me. Go ahead. Ask the president questions. Those questions were questions any reporter would have asked. And I was there to represent all of the networks and therefore ask about the questions of the day. They're obviously not questions every reporter would have asked because every other reporter wasn't said or told rather not to attend the next event. They wrap themselves in this stuff all the time. But watch the reporters will, in fact, circle the wagons. When we return, I will give you a little bit of a history lesson about presidential press conferences. You know, they didn't always exist. I'll be right back. Lovin. By the way, our next guest on Life, Liberty, and Levin on Sunday... On the Fox News Channel will be retired Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. See what he's up to, what he thinks about events that are taking place. Uh, he's, he's really a scholar, too. He reads an enormous amount. He reads books about philosophy and so forth. He reads my books. So uh, he's a fascinating man, and I wanted to uh, catch up with him, and I think you're going to really enjoy the interview. I haven't done it yet, but I think you're going to really enjoy I think I'm going to. All right, presidential press conference. They started in a way with Woodrow Wilson. He had the first one. But it wasn't the kind of event you see today. Not a freewheeling press conference. And you can look at the WhiteHouseHistory.org site for what I'm about to tell you. And they say that President Kennedy stands midway between Presidents Wilson and Obama with seven presidents before him and nine following him. Of course, there's now ten. In the period preceding the Kennedy presidency, the rules governing press conferences favored the president. The sessions were off-the-record events from Woodrow Wilson through Harry Truman. If the president said something he believed unwise, he could alter the quote. President Truman, for example, was able to back away from a comment about Senator Joseph McCarthy that he made in March 30, 1950 at a press conference. Truman said, I think the greatest asset that the Kremlin has is Senator McCarthy. One of the reporters commented that the president's observation would, quote, hit page one tomorrow. Truman realized he'd better soften the statement. He worked with the reporters and allowed the following as a direct quotation. Quote, the greatest asset that the Kremlin has is the partisan attempt in the Senate to sabotage the bipartisan foreign policy of the United States. When the rules governing press conferences were off the record, Chief executives held them from once or twice a week. In fact, Calvin Coolidge, who held the most press conferences for the number of years he was in office, had 521 sessions or an average of 93 a year. But once they went on the record in the Eisenhower administration, the numbers dropped drastically. 
Now they had to take time preparing for these sessions and then be careful what they said when answering questions. Eisenhower and Kennedy, respectively, had 24 and 23 press conferences a year. The first televised press conference was held January 19, 1955. President Eisenhower came into the Indian Treaty Room, a room with poor acoustics and limited seating, and announced the experiment that they were about to be part of. In fact, television made an enormous difference in the significance of press conferences and presidential publicity. It has been a disturbing influence. Presidents have made mistakes, though only rarely, but the sessions have been an enormous resource for presidents as they seek to explain policy and themselves to the public. And it goes on. The press conference is not for the press. The press conference is for the American people. The press today claim to be many things, including our representatives. The press are not our representatives, because for the most part, they take sides. For the most part, we know what side they take. The purpose of a press conference isn't to give a so-called reporter for a so-called news outlet the opportunity to disrupt it, to disrupt it. I can remember when that reporter for the Daily Caller, I believe his name was Neil Monroe, all the press, the gaggle was there, Obama was there, nobody ever interrupted Obama, nobody ever raised their voice, and he did, he interrupted and he raised his voice. Obama spoke down to him, and the other press in the room told him to be quiet. I don't remember the press circling the rag around him. The purpose of a press conference is not for the press. In fact, the purpose of a free press is not for the press. It's for the citizenry to know what their government is doing, among other things. We cannot know what our government is doing when you have individuals like Jim Acosta or others at CNN and perhaps others at other news agencies who are abusing the process to make points, to push an agenda, to embarrass a president. If that's the point, day in and day out and day in and day out. The president didn't willy-nilly through his surrogates say that this CNN reporter shouldn't appear at the next event. She was talking about Michael Cohen, the tape, whether or not the president's worried about him working with the feds when he's sitting there with the president of the European Union Commission. But we don't have any other opportunity. We don't have any other opportunity. Sure you do. I'll be right back. Liberty's voice, Mark Levin. Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. Stick with us, baby. I think we know what we're doing over here. Sunspots, brown spots, discoloration, even red inflamed patches, all gone with the brand new Genesel Sunspot Corrector. 
Here's Ella Brown from Rockford, Illinois. She said, I have both age and acne spots, and this stuff is actually fading both of them. The serum is worth every penny. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the Genesel Sunspot Corrector is here, and it's yours free for trying Genesel today. A must-have for your summer. Finally, see those stubborn sunspots vanish, and those bags and puffiness, gone. And for results in less than 12 hours, the Genesel Immediate Effects is also yours for free. Light, clean, effective natural skin care that gives you amazing results and healthier, softer skin day after day. No one does it better than Chamonix. Go to Genesel.com right now. Better yet, give us a call. We're open. 800-SKIN-604. 800-SKIN-604. You be the judge right now or call 800-SKIN-604 and you'll see the magic of Chamonix or you get 10, 100% of your money back. Excuse me. You'll get 100% of your money back if you don't see the change. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or go to Genesel.com. That's Genesel.com. Man, we got a lot more to go into, but you know what? Let's take a couple calls here. Let's go to Wendy, Akron, Ohio, on the Mark Levin app. How are you? I'm very good tonight, Mr. Levin. How are you? Very well, thank you. Uh, thanks for taking my call, and I'd like to tell you that uh, I'm a first-time caller, so I'm a n- little nervous, but I'm just, I'm just about spent with all this stuff, and I, I, I just, I guess I needed to vent. I am so embarrassed and so ashamed at the way these people are treating our president. I, I, I even am I'm, I'm even upset with Fox News, watching Fox News. They, they, they get on these tangents on this stuff like Cohen and this and that, and they don't let anything go. And then I watched Mike Pompeo today. I happened to be a, I used to be in the car business, and I was a finance manager, and now I'm a carrier for the Beacon Journal, so I drive around all night and I listen to this crap. And, mm-hmm. I, and I have the opportunity during the day to pick up these hearings, and I've never done that. I'm the same age as you, and I'm starting to watch some of that, and I'm just blown away by it. And I, I, I sat back, and for eight years... I had to swallow and take what was going on with being lied to by the Democratic Party and President Obama. And never once did I disrespect him. Never, I didn't like him. I didn't like what his policies were. But I respected the office of the presidency. And I don't see how these people can get out of bed every day and look in the mirror and treat this man with the way they're treating him and his family and the things that are going on. And I am angry. And I'm mm-hmm. fed up with it. And I'm tired of hearing it. And I, I, just, I, I just want it to stop. I mean, I want him to grow up. I want him to act like adults. I can't figure it out. And you, and you don't remember them treating Obama this way in any respect, do you? No, I don't. Not at all. Not at all. Mm-mm. I've never seen him treat anybody like this before. I mean, this is mind-boggling. It's, 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 I, it, and, and you just sit there, and you sit there with your mouth hanging open. And, I, and half the time I'm picking my mouth up off the floor because I'm going... You know, where do these people get up? Why do they think that they think this is funny and cute? Do they think this is entertaining? I mean, it, it's, it's no, no. And the idea that they represent freedom of the press, like somebody's trying to destroy freedom of the press. They have destroyed their so-called profession. Have they not? Oh, yes, they have. Oh, yes, they have. I mean, it's it, uh, I won't. There's certain people I won't even I won't even I won't even watch. And even the people that I think are OK. It depends on what day it is. They, they jump on the bandwagon because they're afraid they might get caught on the wrong side of the fence. 
And and if you stop and look what this guy is doing, I was I was a Ted Cruz person all the way. Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz. And I'm going to tell you right now, Ted Cruz could not do what this president is doing. Ted Cruz could not do this. The only reason he can do this is because he owes nobody. He's beholding to nobody, and he doesn't really care. And I and and I get that because I've been in sales all my life, and it's like you know what, get over yourselves. This is the way it's got to go. But he listens and he learns. And a perfect example is the stuff with the with the tariffs today. When you start talking about the stuff that I heard you talking about the last couple of weeks on your show, and and he pays attention to what's going on around him, and and he, and he deserves credit for that. Yes, he does. You, you, you don't hear me here bang, pounding away on the man. I was pounding away on this issue now for months. And look how he's talking. I agree with what he said today. I do, too. I do, too. And I, and he, but he's listening. He can be a good salesperson, not only knows how to make a great deal, they listen. And it takes, you have to be as good of a listener as you do a deal maker in order to. And make by the way, deal. and I know what you're saying is true because months ago, when I was at the White House, invited by the vice president, the president called me over to his office. I was there about 20 minutes. The entire time he was asking me questions. He wasn't bragging. He wasn't trying to, to bully me into a position. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? What are your, what are your listeners thinking about? The entire time he was inquisitive. I spent 25 years pushing bank papers, selling extended life, credit warranties, accident and health insurance, and, and helping the, the salespeople out when they had issues. And you have to listen to the people, and everybody has a story, and you have to learn that. And, and when, they're, when they're talking to you, they're interested in hearing your story because that gives them another story to tell to somebody else who teaches them, and they pick <laughs> them up and learn. And that's what he does. All right, Wendy, great call. Don't be a stranger. It's a great call, her first call. Lori, Winchester, Virginia, the great WINC. Go. Hi, this is my first time call. Wow, a lot of first-time callers from lovely ladies. Go right ahead. <laughs> you are amazing in all oh. your commentary, but I just am so appreciative of what you just said about what press conference are actually for the people, mm-hmm. not the individual news commentator or whatever. I'm just so impressed with your knowledge of history, your desire to inform the people, and how you have informed me about so many things. Well, you're very kind. You're very kind. And you live in a wonderful little town there, Winchester, Virginia. Thank you. Now, Winchester, Virginia, and the Civil War changed hands like over 50 times between the uh, Union and the Confederacy. Did you know that, Mr. Producer? Yeah, it was pretty rough on the people who live there, I can tell you that. Nathan, Monroe, New York, the great WABC, go. Hi, Mark. Uh, quick question. Did Michael Cohen breach his fiduciary duty to the president during the course of his... I, I, I don't believe there's... I don't know if there's a fiduciary duty, but, I, but his uh, lawyer-client duty? Uh, my own opinion is yes. I don't know the specific ethics rules in the Code of Professional Conduct in New York... But uh, I think you're taping a client, uh, and then uh, this stuff is getting out, and we have a federal judge who put a special master in charge. They seem to reject the whole notion of attorney-client privilege. We have a lot of critically important institutions, protections, processes that have been destroyed by Mr. Mueller 
that had been destroyed by the Justice Department, that had been destroyed by the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York, had been destroyed by some of these judges. And, it, and we will all rue the day one day. Because remember where the libs come from. Oh, precedent, precedent, precedent. Well, look at the precedent they're creating here. Absolutely. I, I just don't see how uh, recording the conversations without his knowledge or consent in any Sir, way. Sir, have, have you ever gone through a divorce? Uh, no. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying to give an example to people. Have you gone through a divorce? Can you imagine if your lawyer's taping you? Wow. Can you imagine if your lawyer's taping you... Uh, uh, if you're being charged with shoplifting. I mean, I'm just trying to make it basic stuff for everybody to understand. They're taping you. I, I understand it. Maybe it's like a faux pas politically to go after people even when they do this. But it, it seems like because the liberals played dirty, you have to nail this guy to the wall if you can uh, for having done that. Well, I don't know who nails him to the wall. I mean, uh, the government. No, we'll, we'll say he may get nailed to the law, wall. I'm not sure exactly what the Southern District of uh, New York is investigating him for. I read a few of these articles that talked about taxis and medallions. We haven't heard about that again. So mm-hmm. I don't know what I don't know what's going on. But I do know this: all these so-called legal experts and pundits who are all over cable TV, all over our newspapers, and so forth, going on and on about how this may be a campaign violation, what uh, Trump did or may have done. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. Did I just not have the chairman of the former chairman of the FEC on this show, a man who was involved in uh, in, uh, in 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 developing and implementing that rule? Did I not? What did he say? He said no. Yeah. Okay. So who am I going to listen to? Him or all these other knuckleheads? All right, my friend. Thank you for your call. Rafael, Sacramento, California, the great KSFO. Go. Hey, Mark. uh, Nice talking to you. Thank you, I was a Democrat for 18 years at age 18 years in California, registered. Yeah. Yeah. And I was voted Democrat because I was, was... you know, well informed, actually ill informed about the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. You know, all the stuff negatively. And I always voted Democrat in California. Never. I mean, at all times. Mm-hmm. What really flipped me or changed my uh, view was Ted Cruz mm-hmm. when he's running for president. And honestly, I, I never heard about you, never knew who you were. Mm-hmm. And so I started, you know, listening to uh, on a show, I was driving home and trying to catch a bow and starts into your topics and you're very informed you're you 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 tell people how it is you tell well, you're very me kind the sent the center you know i accept you know i was like wow i never knew about that and last year you know actually the the race in 2006 night split i left the democratic party and then you know started into a uh, devon news here in california mm-hmm. you know jim jordan started donating money to uh Jim Jordan, Devin Nunez, and, you know, here, uh, we got uh, John Cox and started attending more uh, Republican events and mm-hmm. listening to your show and other, uh, you know, Rush, bought your book, Ameritopia, and, you know, looking forward to read it. But well, I was, thank you. Know, you. I, just, I just, the thing that I listened, you know, I just, I was, you know, not very informed with the prior party. It was always But the prior me. party is depending on that. They're depending on that. That's why to those of us who think and reason and and really research this stuff, they sound nuts. Right. But 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 
those who do not, you know, they may persuade a whole host of them. Raphael, I have to go. Thank you very much for your call. You really made my day, and I appreciate it. And thank you for being a real thinker, because that's what this is about. This show, my beloved audience, constitutional conservatism, reading, actually reading. That's what we do, and I appreciate it. We'll be right back. Mark is sad to watch, too. I, I would just tell my friends at Fox that when Obama, quote-unquote, pushed back on Fox, it was for ideological reasons. I don't remember Fox reporters yelling out inappropriate questions at the president when he was sitting there with the president of another country or the president of an international organization. And I don't remember Fox having anybody like a Jim Acosta. Now, we the people know exactly what's going on here. Again, just to repeat, to underscore the point. This isn't about freedom of the press. It's about the appropriateness and the manner in which you conduct yourself at a press event. At a press event. You don't get to lose all comedy. Not comedy, comedy. Just because you're a member of the press, to hurl whatever question you want, no matter the circumstances, and to yell it out loud about Michael Cohen and the tape and whether he thinks the president, he'll work with federal authorities. I mean, that's, that's pushing an agenda. There's a lot of questions related to trade and commerce and the European Union and so forth that I and we, the people, would like to know about. Those are the kinds of questions you can ask. Or there are a lot of other questions you can ask. But when you're pushing your ideology and you're pushing your agenda, it's not the same thing as Obama targeting Fox News. Fox News wasn't disrupting anything at a presidential event. So they're all going to circle the wagons now and tell you that this was some kind of an affront to freedom of the press and the news. And then the morning shows, particularly on MSLSD and, and the Constipated News Network in particular, will try and rile up their, their viewers, as few as there are, and tell you that this is dictatorship. It reminds them of Hitler, maybe Goebbels, and on and on and on. So we'll go through another round of this. So my advice is don't watch them. I'm not calling for an official boycott. Just stop watching these people and these shows. Or stop listening to them. Let me ask you a question. I've asked this question many times in the past. If a... Well, let me put it in the context of a TV host. If a TV host is broadcasting and nobody watches him or her, Is he really broadcasting? It's the old tree in the forest. If a radio host is broadcasting and nobody's listening to him or her, is he or she actually broadcasting? So, just stop watching them or stop listening to them. 
exactly what kind of news would we have gotten from these reporters' questions? What does the president think of Michael Cohen and his tape, and is he concerned that he's going to be working with the feds? That was really intended to to dig into an issue and to really get a uh, a response that is newsworthy? I mean, come on. million Americans are reading Imprimus for free each month. Are you one of them? It's the very best and largest digest of conservative thought. And it's published by Hillsdale College. You can receive it for free at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. You've heard me talk about this for years. And yet many of you haven't pulled the trigger. I want to strongly encourage you to do it. Imprimus is always outstanding and it's always free. As part of Hillsdale's efforts to teach all Americans how to pursue truth and defend liberty. Can you imagine if all colleges and universities did this? But there's only one. And I think it's one of the most important publications in the country, and I read it every month. This month's edition is particularly powerful. It has our great Vice President Mike Pence and his message to Hillsdale's graduating class. It's a message that will teach you, challenge you, inspire you. You really need to read it. Start reading in Primus. Learn how to defend freedom, starting with the current issue. And I'm going to tell you what. You will be waiting for it every month. And when you get it, you're going to be really pleased that you did it. It's that kind of a publication. Vice President Pence will help ground you in the teachings and traditions that are our greatest inheritance as Americans. Same teachings and traditions that are the surest foundation of a boundless American future. Visit levinforhillsdale.com to get your free subscription to Unprimus. No strings attached. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Now, if you like my show, you're going to love Unprimus. Levinforhillsdale.com. As I say, if, if the press were truly transparent and honest, they would self-identify as being really uh, associated with, even loosely, with a political party or a political agenda or a political ideology. We know most of them are. And so we're supposed to live through this this fiction. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I referenced earlier in the program, our fantastic Secretary of State, we have a fantastic National Security Advisor, really quite a team. We have a fantastic uh, ambassador to the United Nations. And these are solid, solid American patriots, pro-defense, pro-national security, and the Democrats dare to attack this administration as weak. Look who Obama had. Susan Rice. John Brennan, John Kerry, before that, 
Hillary Clinton? Is this some kind of a joke? But Mike Pompeo was at a hearing today, such as it is, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. The chairman is a pathetic member of the Senate from Tennessee, Bob Corker, who greased the skids for the Iran deal. But I'm not going to even waste your time listening to what he had to say. Bob Menendez is a very lucky man. He could be spending time in a federal prison. But the liberal Democrats, for the most part, are always very lucky when it comes to their, uh, well, the law. So Menendez uh, is the ranking Democrat on the committee. And he's got a tough race in New Jersey against a Republican. And we can only hope that Menendez loses, even if the Republicans are liberal. I don't even care at this point. Menendez needs to go. Listen to this. Cut 15, Mr. Producer. Go. The members of this committee are strongly supported of strategic, well-crafted diplomacy to advance America's foreign policy interests. Unfortunately, all we've come to expect is a saber-rattling president who embraces and provides legitimacies to some of the world's most notorious bad actors and who denigrates our closest allies whose sons and daughters have gone to war alongside Americans. We've not seen any substantive deals or strategies that put Americans or American national security first. We've seen our president... Oh, really? Really, really? Well, he's increased defense spending. That would seem to put national security first. He put the kibosh on the uh, on the Iran deal. That would seem to put national security first. He's actually taken actions against Russia, unlike the Obama administration. That would seem to put national security first. He's taking on the Chinese, as he's taken on the North Koreans. So who is this phony Menendez? Well, he's a phony. Go ahead. As he stands besides our adversaries and intends to roll out the red carpet at the White House. I hear that's postponed till January, but nonetheless, to invite Putin to the White House, a thug who is actively trying to undermine our elections. Hmm. Well, you are, sir, a discredited buffoon. Now he goes at it with Pompeo. His mistake. Cut 16, go. When the president meets alone... Uh, with President Putin, it allows the Kremlin-sponsored state media and the Russian Ministry of Defense uh, to provide more information, at least from their perspective, not only to the American people, but sometimes it seems to the members of the president's own cabinet. So I'd like to ask you some questions to get to understand what actually happened. Has the president told you what he and President Putin discussed in their two-hour closed-door meeting in Helsinki? You can put your microphone on. Excuse me, I'm sorry. The presidents have a prerogative to choose who's in meetings or not. I'm confident you've had private one-on-one meetings in your life as well. You've chosen that setting as the most efficient way to... I just asked a simple question. Did you... I, I just... I, I, you can't I, eat up my seven minutes, Mr. Secretary. Did, did you... Did he tell you... What, whether or not, uh, what happened in those two hours. Yes, Senator, the predicate of your question implied some notion that there was something improper about having a one-on-one meeting. I completely disagree it, with it the just, premise I, of your I didn't ask you a predicate. I asked you a simple question. I hope we're going to get through it. Did he tell you what transpired in the two-hour meeting? I had a number of conversations with President Trump about what transpired in the meeting. I was also president when, president when he and President Putin both 
gave us a sense of what they discussed in the meeting that followed immediately after. Did, did you have I've also had the chance to speak with Sergey Lavrov twice about the Russian view on what takes place. I think I have a pretty complete understanding Good. Good. of did what you, took place. Did you speak meeting. to the translator? Hey, uh, Senator, why don't you shut the hell up and listen? We know you have an agenda. What are you, a uh, member of the CNN uh, reporting pool? What do you think of Jim Acosta? Go ahead. Meeting? No, I haven't. Have you seen any of her notes? Senator, I, I have never, I've been in lots of meetings. I've had lots of note takers and lots of translators. Um, I've, I've never relied on the work that they did, did the for president me to understand discuss, what took place in that meeting, and it does not need to be did done. The president here discussed and won't Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. The. Uh, the disrespect. It's the Democrat Party talks like this. The, the media talk like this. And then they're victims. You say, oh, the president's attacking freedom of the press. No, he's not. He's attacking you for being a moron, for being disruptive, for staying in the way of the American people knowing anything. And Menendez doesn't really have questions that he wants answered. He is a blunderbust. Google it. The blunderbust. Nikki Haley, these are people who work for the President of the United States. These are people who were appointed by the President of the United States. Yesterday at the U.N. Security Council, and don't they all sound better than anybody Obama had? Cut 10, go. If you judge a nation's commitment to the Palestinian people by the words heard in this chamber, you might come to the conclusion that the United States has been less generous simply because we stand proudly with our ally, Israel, here at the U.N. But once again, this conclusion would be entirely false. Last year, while Algeria was providing nothing to UNRWA and Turkey was providing $6.7 million, the United States gave $364 million. That's 10 times the combined amounts from every country I just named. And that's on top of what the American people give annually to the Palestinians in bilateral assistance. That is another $300 million just last year, and it averages to more than a quarter of a billion dollars every year since 1993. Since that year, the United States has provided over $6 billion, with a B, dollars in bilateral assistance to Palestinians. How much have the Arab countries, some of who are wealthy, how much have they given to the Palestinians? Does not come anywhere close to what the United States has done. Words at the United Nations or actions on the streets and in the schools of Palestinian communities. Which matters more? Judging by the vitriol that is directed toward the United States from the Palestinian representatives, including the one here today, and from some of their allies, one might fairly conclude that our support is unappreciated or unwelcome. I mean, she calls it like she sees it. Cut 11, go. This is not an issue of funding alone. Where are the Arab countries when it comes to encouraging reconciliation between Palestinian factions, which is essential to peace? Where are the Arab countries when it comes to denouncing Hamas terrorism? Where are the Arab countries when it comes to supporting compromises that are necessary for peace? Too often, the Arab countries give just enough money and mouth just enough uncompromising words 
to stay out of the crosshairs of Palestinian representatives. But if they really cared about the Palestinian people, they would not do that. Instead, they would condemn extremism, and they would put forth serious ideas for compromises that could end this struggle and lead to a better life for the Palestinian people. They would tell the Palestinian leadership how foolish they look for condemning a peace proposal they haven't even seen yet. The Palestinian leadership has been allowed to live a false reality for too long because Arab leaders are afraid to tell them the truth. The United States is telling the truth because we do care about the Palestinian people. So the next time we have a meeting like this in the Security Council or the General Assembly, and we hear speech after speech about the plight of the Palestinian people, I would ask those who are making the speeches to examine what your country is doing to help, other than speech making. It is time for the regional states in particular to step up and really help the Palestinian people instead of just making speeches thousands of miles away. So this administration has taken on the terrorist leaders of the Palestinian regimes, both in uh, Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip. This administration has taken on the Islamo-Nazis in Tehran. This administration has taken on the communist inbred in North Korea. This administration has put in place real sanctions, has taken real action against the fascist regime in Moscow. And this president has been and is gearing up to do a hell of a lot more with respect to Red China. What did Obama do? What did he do? He took the side of the terrorist leaders in the Gaza Strip and in Jerusalem. People will disagree with me. Don't. I know what I'm talking about. He took the side of the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran. He turned his back on what the inbred communist dictator in North Korea was doing. He, uh, he turned his head on what Putin was doing. And he was a patsy to the Chinese. And of course he opened an American embassy in Havana, Cuba. Most, if not all, the staff was forced to leave because of the, of the warfare the Cubans unleashed against our staff at the embassy with high-pitched noises and such, causing some of them to go deaf and some of them to have brain damage. Oh, and did I mention he appointed John Brennan, the Gus Hall voter, to head the CIA? Did I mention that he appointed Hillary Clinton and then John Kerry to be Secretary of State? Did I mention that? And one toady after another as military advisors and as civilian military advisors who turned the Pentagon into some kind of a social experiment as if it was uh, housed at Columbia University. And we have to hear 
these Democrats on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. We have to hear people like Adam Schiff on the House Intelligence Committee lecture we the people about Russia and we the people about having a rational foreign policy about national security they are the defense council for the senior individuals at the FBI who interfered with our election all of whom are gone all of whom are gone they are the defense council for the director of the CIA, Brennan, who allowed the Russians to interfere with our election, didn't do a damn thing. They are the defense counsel for Susan Rice, who told the cyber warfare security group at the White House to stand down on orders of the president. Of course, Barack Obama, not called to account for anything. It had all happened under him. Of course, he didn't know a thing about anything. Just kind of happened. Mr. Community Organizer, who would organize his communities right down to the street level, every single street, every single neighborhood. Somehow he knew nothing about what took place under him. And throw in Benghazi and throw in the IRS and throw in all the rest of it, fast and furious. He didn't know anything. And he's never questioned about it. Instead, we have to watch Mike Pompeo be attacked by a man who was indicted on multiple counts, criminal counts, with a hung jury. He's an innocent man. No, 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 no question about it. But he's a sleazeball nonetheless. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Massachusetts on the Mark Levin app. Go right ahead, sir. Mr. Levin, it's, to me, it's called the Distraction Media Networks. If you notice that with every good thing that the president's done over, over his term in, in office so far, there's been a major distraction, and they launched these major distractions, whether it's Neil Gorsuch, the tax cuts, rolling back thousands of regulations to make this energy efficient, energy uh give us energy freedom if it's winning in the supreme court on, on his on his on his travel ban and now coming up with now coming up with what we're all reading is going to be an excellent gdp report coming out on friday you got to crank up the michael cohen deal you got to you know it's another distraction to take away from all the great things. And, and, and underscoring your point, which is very important, here he is sitting with the president of the European Union. And we have some real issues there. And it affects our economy. It affects their economy. It could affect the world economy. And throwing up the Michael Cohen tape and whether he thinks Cohen might be working with the feds, that's not even a real question, is it? No. Nope. And, and to that point, when President Obama was in office... Did you see uh, conservative reporters screaming at him, Mr. President, you lied. I can't keep my doctor. I can't keep my insurance. Mm -hmm. Mr. President, why do you have children locked up in cages on the border? Mr. Mr. President, why did you turn turn over 25% of our uranium? Aren't you a dictator because of uh, DACA? Aren't you a dictator because you reject a court's opinion? Aren't you? You're exactly right. Of course not. And we see this. 
And so the purpose of a press conference is to glean information about our government, about the president, for we the people. It's not an opportunity for reporters to beat their chests and pat themselves on the back. That's not the purpose of a press conference. It's for us. Yes, it is, sir. And I just want to say, as being a 14-year veteran, I appreciate all you say and do for our, our veterans. Oh, yeah. And the very support kind. that you show us, sir. I appreciate it very much. And have a great Th- night, sir. Thank you for your service. It is my honor. I really don't do anything, quite frankly. It is the men and women who put the uniform on. They do everything. I don't do anything. And that goes for the cops and the firefighters and ICE and the Border Patrol, all, all the folks, domestic and foreign, really does. Brad, quickly, Columbia, South Carolina, Sirius Satellite, go. Oh. Uh, hey, how you doing, Mr. Van? Good, quick, Lee. All right, real quick. Uh, Nikki Haley uh, came from the great state of South Carolina, and yep. we're going to have a great uh, new governor in this, Mr. McMaster. He's going to continue, but... Uh, I can promise you this. That's a woman. Uh, a I, don't, I don't know standard. a lot about McMaster, but I see what Nikki Haley's doing, and she is, uh, and she's top notch. Not putting McMaster down. I just don't know anything about him. Thank you for your call. We'll be right back. Voice of sanity in an insane world. The Mark Levin Show. Call him now at 877-381-3811. Have you gotten your subscription to CRTV yet? We have 20 magnificent hosts, and we have Levin TV, and I hope you've been enjoying it. Those of you who haven't watched it yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. You can watch it on multiple platforms. Everything you have, really. If you have a PC, you have an Apple computer, you have an iPad, an iPhone, an Android. You can watch it on your smart TV through Roku. We have every conceivable platform. And we have wonderful, wonderful hosts who are all very entertaining, very different, and all conservative. Conservative libertarian, conservative. Uh, Phil Robertson. We've got uh, Steve Crowder. We've got Andrew Wilkow. We've got Michelle Malkin. I'm making, I go on and on and on. Really the best. And, of course, me on Levin TV. And... Um, the thing about CRTV.com is a totally different model. There are no commercials, like the one you're listening to right now. I want to strongly encourage you to join now. We're offering all of our listeners a free 30-day trial. You try it for a month, you don't like it, no risk. You like it, then stick with us for a while. 30-day trial, you can take us with you. You go to the beach, you go to the swimming pool, you, you're taking a trip. It's like old Dick Tracy stuff. Just pull up your, your handheld device and you can watch us. And you can watch us whenever you want. That's the other great thing. 30-day free trial if you go to CRTV right now. No other place like this where you'll get the truth unfiltered, uncensored from all of our wonderful hosts. It's very entertaining, very substantive, very patriotic. Give us a call right now. We're open. 844-LEVIN-TV. That's 844-LEVIN-TV. 844 4688, and we'll get you set up and ready to watch within five minutes. That's 844-LEVIN-TV. Greg Jarrett is an outstanding lawyer, and how do I know that? Because I watch him on the Fox News channel, particularly on Hannity's show. He's got an amazing book out now, The Russia Hoax, The Illicit Scheme to Clear Hillary Clinton and Frame Donald Trump. Mr. Jarrett, how are you, sir? Mark, I'm happy to be here with you. Thanks for having me. 
Well, it's a great pleasure. This is a really thoroughly written and researched book. First of all, I want to ask you a question. Where did you find the time to write this? <laughs> you know, I just made the time. Uh, if you really want to do something uh, badly enough, you, you can make the time. I started writing in December. I wrote seven hours a day, seven days a week until I finished the book at the end of April, and then a month of additions and revisions. So, uh, you know, it's a grueling process, but you know this. You've done this. You, uh, you cover everything from Hillary Clinton uh, into what's happening with Donald Trump. Since we have a limited amount of time, I want to jump right in. Okay. Uh, one of your very, very important chapters is on this issue of obstruction of justice, which seems to be the default position or likely the default position of Mr. Mueller. So what's wrong with that? It's uh, just not justified under the law, as you know, you're a lawyer. It's not obstruction of justice for a president to exercise his constitutional duty. Nor was it a corrupt act as the law demands when Trump expressed his hope or wish that Flynn, Michael Flynn, uh, would be cleared of wrongdoing. Those are the two alleged uh, counts against Trump that people in the media in particular have been making in Democrats. And nowhere in the law can that be found or justified. So it's one of the many canards of the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. And, Greg Jarrett, exactly how, playing devil's advocate, has Donald Trump obstructed the investigation into Russia. He has a funny way of doing it, considering Congress is uh, going full bore, the special counsel is going full bore, a thousand reporters are going full bore. Exactly how has he obstructed it? He hasn't obstructed it at all. Uh, and in fact, you know, so many people point to uh, the interview that Trump did shortly after he fired uh, James Comey, uh, the interview with Lester Holt. Has anybody actually read the transcript of that interview. And I go through it in my book, and I lay it out. And I show people the transcript. I reprint it in the book. And what you'll see there is that President Trump is telling Lester Holt, I just wanted somebody to be competent. I wanted somebody who could handle the investigation properly. So here is a man who is actually trying to uh, fix the investigation so it is done right, not to obstruct it. You know, we have some breaking news uh, this evening, Greg Jarrett, and that is conservatives in the House of Representatives are in fact moving on impeaching Rod Rosenstein. Mm -hmm. And you speak extensively about Rod Rosenstein. What's the problem with Rod Rosenstein? He has repeatedly defied lawful subpoenas about the origins of the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. He treats Congress with contempt, and he should be held in contempt and impeached. Mark, this is a guy who has been covering up and obstructing justice. And as I argue in the book, there was no legal basis to launch the investigation of Trump and his uh, campaign. There was no probable cause. There was never any credible evidence the crimes were committed. There was never any plausible intelligence to justify a counterintelligence probe. They invented or exaggerated facts, and Rosenstein was in on it. It was a manufactured hoax by high-ranking officials within the FBI and the Department of Justice. 
Rosenstein, who signed on one of the renewals, he knew that dossier was phony and fabricated. He didn't care. Uh, and he affixed his signature to it, and he vouched for its truth and authenticity. And in doing so, Rosenstein perpetrated a fraud on the court and committed what uh, is a felony violation, abuse of power. And so he signs the an extension to the FISA warrant. He's friends with Mueller. As a matter of fact, his first real job at the Justice Department was with Mueller in the Public Integrity Unit. He's close friends with Comey. Under what definition is this an independent investigation by Mr. Mueller when he rubber stamps damn near everything? It is, it is not at all uh, independent, and in fact, it is the perfect example of a, a biased, unobjective, uh, it is the witch hunt that uh, Donald Trump claims it is. You know, as I point out in the book, The Russia Hoax, I go through, you know, the Department of Justice regulations and the Code of Professional Responsibility. You are not, as a lawyer, allowed to be both prosecutor and witness in the same case. Yeah, right. It, it, I mean, it's worse for Rosenstein because he, he's not only prosecutor and witness, you know, he's overseeing the investigation, which makes him an investigator, and he decides what action to be taken at the conclusion of it, which makes him essentially judge and jury. So he's wearing all of these con- conflict of interest hats and the regulations demand his recusal and his failure to do so, Mark, you know this as a lawyer, I mean, this is a clear violation of the Code of Professional Responsibility. And this is the kind of stuff that people get disbarred for. Uh, so, yes, Rosenstein should be held in contempt. He should be impeached. The problem is, uh, you know, to get impeachment in, in the Senate on a conviction is two-thirds in the House you'd even have trouble, you know, getting the articles passed. So, it, you know, that's the swamp. Why, why do you think, it's a good point, why, why do you think the Speaker and the Republican leadership are very, uh, well, they don't, they don't want to pursue this. I mean, politics aside, sometimes you have to do what's right. Why do you think they don't want to do it? Because they don't have a backbone and they don't care about what's right or wrong. These are feckless individuals and... Uh, you know, it's a sad commentary on the leadership of the Republican Party up on Capitol Hill. But, you know, the face of it in the House is, is Paul Ryan. And I must tell you, of the many members of Congress that I talk to on a routine basis, they are looking forward to the day that Paul Ryan says goodbye at the end of the year. The, uh, the abuse of our intelligence agencies and the FBI in this particular case against candidate Trump, Trump world, uh, President-elect Trump, and even now Trump. There really are no parallels in American history, are there? No, I don't think so. And look, I was um, a young man during Watergate. I'm 63 years old, so I lived through that national nightmare. And, um, and, and that was a bad one. This, in my judgment, is 10 times worse. This, these are people in high positions of government who decided to abuse their positions of power to subvert the rule of law and undermine a democratic process called an election. When, when they failed to stop Trump 
from becoming president, they doubled down and decided we'll destroy him and undo the election results because we know better than those deplorables, the American voters. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, this book is really very, very well done. You lay out the case uh, against Hillary Clinton and what was done uh, by the federal government, the FBI in particular, uh, to protect her, to fix that case, if you will. And then uh, in the in the matter of Donald Trump, as you so exquisitely lay out chapter after chapter, there is no matter of Donald Trump. It's all a fiction. It's all it's all a fabrication. And uh, if people want the specifics, if they want the beginning to end, and you really do a great job, and if they want to give this book to a liberal friend or somebody who's not sure what go, what's going on, by the time they're done reading it, you know, if they have any level of reading comprehension, uh, they will, I think, you make the prosecutor's case against Hillary Clinton and against those who've been going after Donald Trump. So well done, my friend. Well, you know, thank you very much. Uh, I I appreciate your talking about the book. I, I, I know you've read it. Um, I sent you an advanced copy. And I know you're, and you signed yeah, it. That was nice of you. I, you're the kind of guy who reads uh, books. You're well read. It shows every time you appear on air uh, on Fox News, where I watch you all the time. I love your show on Sunday night. And I love your radio show. So, uh, you know, for me, this was a real thrill to be on with you. And hope you'll have me back again. As a matter of fact, I'm going to have you back in two or three weeks because we haven't really hit enough of the book. We've kind of talked about it generally, but there's specific things I want to go over with you. So I'd love, uh, to, I'd love to do that. I want to strongly encourage you Levinites out there, and it's up on Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. Uh, it's on my website, but better yet, I'm telling you about it. It's called The Russia Hoax by Greg Jarrett. You know who Greg Jarrett is. The illicit scheme to clear Hillary Clinton and frame Donald Trump. I would recommend, Greg Jarrett, you sign a few copies of this and send it to, like, Mueller and Comey and McCabe <laughs> just to annoy them. I don't think they're going to like it because <laughs> I, um, I really go after them in this book uh, for all of their wrongdoing. And, yeah. uh, you know, they're biased that these are people who shouldn't be nowhere near the Department of Justice and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Well, next time we have you back, I want to talk about Brennan and Clapper and that whole crowd. But in the meantime, folks, before we get Greg back, I would ask you to read up on it. Again, the book is The Russia Hoax by Greg Garrett. Good luck, my friend. You take care. Thank you so much, Mark. Take care. All right. It's a great book. It really is. And uh, I like the way it's laid out, too. It's got good chapters and also in the back, uh, the sources. I mean, the sources. He's got page after page after page to justify the positions that he's taking. You can look at the original sources yourself. This is the kind of book you might want to get your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. But it is the kind of book that you're going to want to devour over the summer. I'll be right back. Bet you'll never guess my favorite place to sit. It's on my X chair. That's where I sit to write my books. That's where I sit to do my radio show. That's where I sit to do my research. That's where I sit to prepare for my radio show. 
As you know, I had a disc that exploded, the L5, I guess it's called, and I was in a hell of a lot of pain, and I started looking for a chair that would help me. And I bought these chairs from different office, you know, stores. The arms would break, or they just couldn't get comfortable, or they would squeak, and I found the perfect chair. It's the X chair. And it's so good, I put a picture of it on my Facebook site. It molds itself to my body, giving me ideal posture. That, in turn, gives me more energy, better concentration. I'm just comfortable. Don't waste another day in that generic chair you've been using. Get an X chair and feel the difference. And if you own a company, you know, you ought to get them for the entire office and see how much your employees appreciate what you've done for them and how productive they'll be. Here's a special deal only for my listeners. Go to xchairlevin.com, xchairlevin.com. Go right now, get 100 bucks off. That's xchairlevin.com, or you can call them. They're there, 1-844-4X-Chair, 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked, guaranteed of complete satisfaction. Now, we're going to add one other thing. If you go to xchairlevin.com right now and use code LEVINFOOTREST, L-E-V-I-N FOOTREST, you'll also get a free footrest. And tell they're very comfortable. It's what I use here when I do the show, the chair and the footrest. xchairlevin.com, xchairlevin.com, and use code LEVINFOOTREST. All right. Now, this Greg Jarrett, you've seen him on Fox, you've seen him on Hannity. He's kind of a lawyer's lawyer, in my humble opinion. And when you spend time writing a book like this, uh, you put it all on your sleeve. And I've gone through this book, and it's in plain English, but it is loaded with facts, with information, and with evidence. And when you turn to the back of the pay, uh, the excuse me, the back of the book, which is where I go first, and you look at the notes section. Notes or endnotes, as they call them, there are hundreds of them. Now, that tells you the book is well-researched. He's done a lawyer's job, and that's what I do with my books, with the notes in the back. People want to double-check something, then double-check it. And he wears multiple hats as an author here. In the case of Hillary Clinton, he lays out her lawlessness, fact by fact, statute by statute. In terms of the cover-up, the fix is in, as he calls it, or the chapter is called The Fix. In that chapter, which is excellent, he lays out the cover-up. But that's not all. He moves on to what they've been doing to Trump. He lays out the case about the senior level of the FBI, the intelligence agencies, the FISA court, the dossier. Very detailed. The efforts to prevent Donald Trump from serving as president before, during, and after his election. And he calls out the culprits. So it's not your usual fare. I think you're really going to enjoy this book. It's the Russia hoax, the illicit scheme to clear Hillary Clinton and frame Donald Trump by Greg Jarrett. You can go to Amazon.com. Go to any of my social sites. Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. And I recommend it. We've had a lot of good authors on the program. We've got another one coming. One is, uh, who's the, uh, who is, uh, 
Greg Gutfeld. He hasn't been on this show in years. I don't. I didn't think he liked me anymore. But I must say, as I watch him on the five, I really do. Uh, I've got a new look at him. I think he's really hitting it out of the park. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and ICE. See you later, ladies and gentlemen. As a matter of fact, make it tomorrow. By the way, check out Levin TV. We have a great one for you tonight as well. See you tomorrow. <laughs>